Lord, as we've sung your praises, we also want to hear from you. And as we come to your word, we pray that you would make all of our hearts fertile ground for the seed of your word. We pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to cause that seed to take root, to cause the seeds that you've already planted to grow. And Lord, that we would bear abundant fruit for you because of what we hear today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. That's Mark chapter 4, 26 to 34. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. I think I've said this before, I'm not much of a gardener, certainly not a farmer. I have worked on a farm before and that taught me all I needed to know or I wanted to know about farming. Uh, But in Jesus's day, farming was very common. Uh, The good news though is you don't have to be from Jesus's day. You don't have to even be a farmer today or even a good gardener today to understand Jesus' words here in his parable. Because we all know what it's like. We've all seen seeds planted in the ground that grow. Springtime's just around the corner. We're going to see it again very soon. So we know what Jesus is talking about in these two parables. The parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. But what does Jesus mean by these parables? And that's the key, isn't it? It's not just about farming. Jesus says it's about the kingdom of God. He's trying to teach us about the kingdom of God. And what we see in this passage this morning is this. God grows his kingdom through his power and according to his plan. And God grows his kingdom through his power and according to his plan. And I'll say this at the beginning. I find the truth of these two parables so encouraging as I look at the church. It is not up to me or to you to build God's kingdom. It's up to God and he will do it. So as we look at this truth of God growing his kingdom, building his kingdom, we're going to see two points this morning. First, we'll see the growth of God's kingdom in verses 26 to 29, and we'll see the greatness of God's kingdom in verses 30 to 34. 
Let's start out with the growth of God's kingdom, verses 26 to 29. This is the parable of the growing seed. Now, it's, it's hard not to read this parable and think back to the parable of the sower just a few verses before, at the beginning of chapter 4, right? Both parables, they start the same way. There's a farmer who's scattering seed on the ground, and the growth of the seed in both of those parables is very important. We saw that that parable of the sower is about what it looks like for Jesus to bring the kingdom. There's going to be rejection, but there's also going to be acceptance as he spreads the good news of the kingdom. The parable here of the growing seed in verses 26 to 29, it's different. Jesus' focus is now on how God causes his kingdom to grow. You can think about it like once the word has taken root, what happens? What does that growth look like? Listen again to the opening of the parable, verse 26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The point of what Jesus is saying is that the seed grows without the farmer knowing how it happens. Okay, we don't have an ignorant farmer here. Um, he might even be a farmer who's doing all the right things. He's applying fertilizer regularly. He's watering the seeds day after day. But the seed grows, and the seed grows actually by itself. Notice what Jesus says. He says, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. Right? The earth is doing the work. In other words, the seed that is planted has everything it needs already to grow. The farmer is not the main factor in making the seed grow. That's true. He's not the main factor in the beginning or actually at any stage of the plant's growth. Right? The earth produces the blade, the ear, and the full grain all by itself. And what's the point? Jesus is telling us a story with a point. What's the point? Well, he's teaching us about how the kingdom of God grows. He's teaching us that God's power grows his kingdom. Right? The planting of the seed is a picture of when the gospel is preached and God alone is ultimately responsible for taking that word, making it take root in your life and causing it to grow. You know, we know God is responsible for doing that work, especially when someone comes to faith. It's maybe an example that we often think about. God regenerates our hearts. He gives us understanding so we know what his word says. And then he gives us faith to believe and he saves us. But Jesus is talking about something actually much bigger than someone coming to faith. He's talking about the entire kingdom of God, the entire growth of the kingdom of God. That means God is at work doing everything necessary to spread his saving rule through the entire fallen world. Everything about God's kingdom, everything about how it is growing is ultimately because of God's power. God is at work in so many different ways to grow his kingdom. He sends out his powerful word, especially through preaching. That's one way he grows his kingdom. Then he makes that word effective. He saves people and he sanctifies us too. He makes us holy. 
He helps us to understand more of the Bible and of his character. He increases our loves. He shapes us to be more like Christ. God grows his kingdom by sending out missionaries, by sending out pastors to obey his command to spread the good news of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And God grows his kingdom by bringing all of his people, not just to salvation, but bringing his people together into his church. Sometimes I think we miss God's work in his church when we focus on God's work in our lives. I'm not trying to separate those two things too much, but we often need to be reminded about what God is doing for all of us or in all of us. God's plan for his church is a key aspect of how he grows his kingdom. God is the one who plants churches. Okay, the OPC, at a basic level, the OPC did not plant this church. God did. And God keeps his churches faithful. And God matures local churches and the church as a whole. All of these things are part of God growing his kingdom. Now, I want us to see just how big God's work really is as he brings his kingdom. I listed so many things just now. There's more that we could talk about, but God is doing a great work far beyond what we normally think when he grows his kingdom. So when we pray, for instance, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, what I just said and more is part of what we're praying for. God to do all of that work to grow his kingdom. When we pray that, we are recognizing that God is the one who brings the kingdom. God is the one who grows the church. I've said that all these things are God's work, and that's true, but we also know that he uses us, right? He's given us means for the kingdom to grow. The word needs to be preached and taught by real people. You need pastors. You need people to lead you in the church. You need this to come to faith and to grow. If you think about your own life, you need to do some work. God says that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That means God has given us a role in our own personal sanctification. And not just in your life, but God has given you a role in this congregation to help us to grow by using your gifts to grow the church to maturity. Think again of Ephesians chapter 4. So God is at work. That's the basic part to grow his church. And he uses us. But do not ever confuse this. God's people or the means that God uses. Do not ever confuse that with God and his power. God is the one who builds his church. God grows the kingdom. He is the one at the end of the day who is at work. Let me give you an example of this in our own church. Do not ever assume that because we do the right thing that God will bless us. I want to be careful, but follow me here. We, we rightly are critical of other Christians who try to produce spiritual results in wrong ways. You can think about a megachurch, for instance. There might be smoke machines and low light or an energetic band. That is not going to produce spiritual results. But I think we can actually assume something similar in our own church. You know, if we just have the right theology, or if we just have a sermon that comes from the Bible, or if we follow God's plan for worship, or if we just tell someone the gospel in the right way, 
then we'll get a result. Okay? Peninsula Reformed Presbyterian Church will only grow if God is at work. Don't confuse the means with God. Hear me clearly. We do need to obey God and use the means He's appointed. We do need to have the right theology. We do need sermons from the Bible. We do need to follow God's plan for worship and to proclaim the gospel. And God does promise to bless obedience and faithfulness. But we have to completely depend on God as a church for His work to build us up and to grow His kingdom. Look again at the parable. The farmer does not produce the results. God does. That's true for us as well. We cannot produce spiritual results. God does in the church. But right there, the fact that God produces results, that's one of the greatest encouragements we can take from this parable because we see that God will work to grow His kingdom. There is progress here. This plant starts out as a seed. Then it's this, the shoots come out. Then it grows and grows and grows all the way to when it's ready to be harvested. There is progress in God's church. Just take a look at church history. And you can see this kind of growing maturity. Think about the church as a whole. We understand God and His Word better than our brothers and sisters hundreds of years ago. But we also see the growing maturity of the church as we see more and more people from every tribe and tongue and nation brought into the kingdom. There are believers in every country of the world. That is a growing maturity of God's church. And what God does for the church as a whole, spread around the whole world, He also does for us in our local church right here at Peninsula Reformed. God is at work in power. And that means that we should expect to see results. We should expect to see growth. You know, we should expect for God to bring visitors. We should expect God to convert sinners. We should expect God to mature all of us. And we can expect these things because we are part of the growing kingdom of God. God is at work here. I want to be careful as I say this, right? Because we all know faithful churches that that don't grow much bigger. Or maybe we've been part of faithful churches that have even closed. Don't hear me say that we're going to be the next mega church or anything like that. God doesn't promise the same kind of growth for everyone. But He does promise growth. He does promise progress. He is promising that He is building His church. And we should expect to see His work here. It is really encouraging for me, and I hope it's encouraging for you, to know that God is growing His kingdom around the world. And it's encouraging to know that as part of that, God is growing our congregation. We are part of God's big plan for His church. God is growing us. And it's encouraging to know that our growth and the growth of the whole church has a specific goal in mind, God's plan. Look at verse 29. We see the goal of where the church is going as God grows us. God says, when the grain is ripe, when the, heart, when, the, the, when the plant is all the way grown, when the grain is ripe, at once He puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Any f- farmer knows that the harvest is his goal. He is not farming just to look at a nice field of green things growing. 
He is farming to see the seeds growing to then be able to harvest and bring the grain into the barn. And once the crop is mature, he knows the goal has been reached. It is time to harvest. Jesus is saying that's God's goal as well. God has a plan for us and his plan is to bring us to be with himself. That's what Jesus means by the harvest. He is talking about his second coming. We see that same language used in other parables, like the parable of the wheat and the tares. Everything is going to that time when Jesus returns and harvests. So God's goal is to bring his church to maturity and then to gather, to send Jesus back, to gather his people together and to finally spread his saving rule everywhere by judging his enemies and by bringing his people into his presence in heaven. We see these truths so clearly, especially as we look at the book of Revelation. So Jesus in this parable is encouraging us. He's encouraging us by reminding us of God's power in the present to be growing us. And he's encouraging us by reminding us of God's glorious plan in the future. There's a goal where we are all going. Just imagine for a second how encouraging these particular truths would have been for Jesus and his disciples. Right? Here's this glorious message that God has come in Jesus Christ. And he's come to save and rule. As we've seen in Mark, only a few people so far have really believed. To use Jesus' picture from the parable, they're in that very beginning stage. The disciples around Jesus, they're just like that, that blade Right? The first green shoots poking out of the ground. But Jesus is encouraging his followers. He says, if that is true, if there is true faith, the seed of the gospel has already begun to produce results. And future growth, future maturity is guaranteed for you and for so many other people. Jesus is encouraging his followers and he's encouraging us to look and to see and to believe the growth that he has for us. But Jesus gives us greater encouragement also through his second parable. We've seen the growth of God's kingdom, and now in our second parable of the mustard seed, we see the greatness of God's kingdom. Look at verses 30 to 34. Jesus tells this next parable. It says, The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which... When sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I want you to think about this parable like one of those little seed packages that you can buy at the store. Uh, when, I, when I do plant something, I don't do it for, too frequently, but when I do plant something, I, I like those seed pa- packages. Maybe those little things that, you know, it says how to plant it, where to plant it. And then it has a nice picture of what I should expect. Beautiful pink flowers or something like that. Uh, Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying if you held a tiny mustard seed in your hand, you wouldn't guess that it would grow into the largest plant of your garden unless somebody told you, unless you knew what it was going to look like. And Jesus says that's the same thing that's true of the kingdom of God. He's doing something similar here as he explains to us the greatness of God's kingdom. The kingdom may have looked small in Jesus' day, just like that mustard seed on your hand. 
But he's explaining what the kingdom will look like in the future. It'll be like that mature mustard plant, bigger and stronger than any other kingdom. And it will be like that mustard plant that provides blessing for many. Again, we easily forget that Jesus' ministry didn't seem very important in his own day. Just talked about it in the previous point about the smallness, but, but think about it. In the book of Mark, right now in Mark 4, he's got lots of followers, but soon many of them will start leaving him. And then his own disciples, his chosen 11, well, 12, they left him too. One of them betrayed him, that's Judas. All the rest of them ran away, and Peter, his closest disciple and friend, denied him. And then Jesus died. I mean, that does not seem to be the way to establish the kind of kingdom that Jesus is describing here. You go from this many people to basically a group of 11, and the 11 walk away from you, and you're the only person left, and you die. What kind of kingdom is that? But Jesus says, don't lose hope. Look at the mustard seed. That seed is guaranteed to grow into a huge plant. And Jesus is saying, look at the mustard seed and look at my ministry. If you look at what Jesus does and says, if you look at who Jesus is, you will see the promise of future growth and greatness. And that's true. We've seen it already in the book of Mark. We see Jesus bringing God's kingdom by saving sinners and defeating Satan and sin. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, at that very moment where it looks like the kingdom's gone, that's actually where we see God bringing his kingdom all the more clearly, all the more powerfully through Jesus. Because at the cross, as Jesus dies, he pays for the sins of his people. And he definitively defeats Satan and death. And in his resurrection, he rises with power to rule as king. That's where the kingdom is put on full display. And from that point forward, all of church history is King Jesus expanding his kingdom. He has established a kingdom that cannot be shaken and a kingdom that is greater than any other kingdom the world has ever seen. Jesus says, look at my ministry And you will see that promise of future greatness. But he also encourages us to look at God's promises as well. God's promises about his kingdom. What does Jesus himself promise? He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome her. That's a promise from the New Testament about what God will do to build his kingdom. But God has been making promises like this all the way from the beginning, all the way through the Old Testament. Psalm 22 is a great example. The ends of all the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. That sounds like a great kingdom to me. Or what did Nebuchadnezzar learn? Just read about it from the book of Daniel. God's kingdom was promised to be stronger than any human kingdom. It's that stone in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that that crushes that statue 
the human kingdoms and grows into a mountain that fills the entire earth. So look at Jesus's ministry and look at God's promises of what he is doing to build his kingdom. Do you realize what what we're really part of? Do you realize that we are part of the greatest kingdom ever because we are part of God's kingdom? That that doesn't mean we're ever going to have the greatest political power or cultural influence. Remember that Jesus says later, his kingdom is not of this world. So the things that the world values, like that power and influence, those aren't the things that we should focus on. But we are part of a powerful, growing kingdom. And if you ever look around you and feel discouraged, and we do, or if you, you think about the future and you worry, remember the greatness of God's kingdom. Remember what you're a part of. There are members of God's kingdom in every country of the world. And the worst human governments have never been able to crush the church. If there are believers in North Korea and Eritrea and places like that today, you can have confidence in God's power. No human has been able to crush the church and neither has our worst enemy, Satan. Why haven't they succeeded? Because of the greatness of God's kingdom, God has established, defends, and grows his kingdom. Remember also the blessing of God's kingdom. That's partly what Jesus means by talking about these birds being able to come to nest in the shade of the mustard tree. God's kingdom brings blessing to the world. God will continue to bless the nations with the light of his word through his church. And people from everywhere will be saved. That's God's promise. So remember the greatness of God's kingdom. Remember the blessing and remember the future of God's kingdom. If we look at Revelation, we see God the Father and Jesus Christ ruling on their thrones. And we see them ruling on their thrones after Jesus has defeated and judged all his enemies. When there are no more human kingdoms, no more competition with God's church, when Satan's kingdom itself has been defeated and God's kingdom alone now fills the entirety of the new heavens and the new earth. That is a great encouragement for us. But that truth, the truth of these parables, the truth of the growth and the greatness of God's kingdom, that's a spiritual truth. We need God's help to understand and believe what he's doing. In the, actually, in the final verses of our passage, we're reminded of this. When Mark explains that Jesus was saying all these things in parables to the crowd, but then also speaking clearly to his disciples. So many people of Jesus' day had, had seen the kingdom of God in Jesus' ministry. They saw what he was doing. They saw who he was, and they rejected it. They rejected him, and they wouldn't listen now. No matter how clearly Jesus explained the growth and the greatness of the kingdom. So he hid the truth from them in parables. But that spiritual truth was revealed to others. His disciples, whose hearts had been changed by God, had the privilege of learning that truth about what God was doing. We don't proclaim God's truth in parables anymore. That's good. Don't do it. But when we explain the gospel clearly, when we tell people about the kingdom of God, 
we still experience the same responses that we see here in our passage. We have family members and friends and even strangers that we talk to who don't really want to hear and believe the good news about Jesus, that Jesus died to save sinners and that we must believe in him in order to be saved. They don't want to hear and believe Jesus's words, repent and believe in the gospel. But that repenting, that believing, that is the right response to the glorious good news that the kingdom of God has come. That's a response that we have all encountered, I'm sure, that people reject what we say. But be encouraged. Be encouraged because what Jesus says in these two parables is true. God's kingdom is growing. And that means when his word goes out, when the kingdom of God is proclaimed in preaching, or in teaching, or when you're just talking to your neighbor or your friend, anyone, God is at work, and God will save people, and he will build his kingdom. I said it now, I've said it throughout the sermon, I'm going to say it again. These parables are encouraging. Jesus gives us the big picture look at what he's doing, from his own earthly ministry all the way to the second coming and the beginning of eternity. And he wants us to find ourselves there and to find, to see that we are part of Jesus's work. We're part of that growing crop. We are a branch of that great mustard seed. We at PRPC are part of God's growing great kingdom. And if we believe that this is true, then it makes even the smallest part of our service to God eternally valuable. See, this is where the rubber meets the road. If we believe that we're part of that work, if God is is working in and through us to grow his kingdom, that means that everything that we're doing here, even the smallest thing that we do, is eternally valuable. You're praying this week as a member of God's kingdom and as a member of this church was eternally valuable. God used that to grow us this week. You fighting sin yesterday was eternally valuable because as God grows his kingdom, he kills sin. All of us this morning singing to God in worship is eternally valuable because God has saved us to be worshipers. All of us listening to this sermon right now with the Spirit's help, this is eternally valuable because God uses his word to shape us and to grow us and to mature us. All of these things are ways that God grows his kingdom. And when we see those changes, when we see growth, when we see faithfulness in ourselves and others, we need to turn and praise God. He's the one who's been doing that work. And when we see God do what seems so much bigger, right? When we see someone come to salvation, when we see God sustain his church in suffering, like in the persecuted church, when we see him send messengers around the world, praise God, because that also is the work of God. The things that seem so little in our lives, in the life of this church, and the things that seem so big, all of those are all from God and are all part of his plan to grow his kingdom. So as we close and we look at the the glory of what God is doing as he grows his kingdom and as he makes us to be a great kingdom, give thanks for God's work, all of it, from the smallest thing that's happening in your life and in this church to the greatest thing that he has done. Give thanks for all of God's work and pray. Pray with dependence 
that he would continue to work until his plan is complete and we will be with him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need this reminder. We need this reminder of the greatness of what you are doing in our church, in our lives, in the church around the world and through all ages, that you are building a kingdom. You are growing a kingdom. And Lord, we are part of that work. We thank you that you have saved us. You have given us King Jesus to rule us and to bring many others to salvation, to bring many others not only to salvation, but to maturity in you. We thank you, Lord, of your, for your great plan and your great power. We pray that we would pray independence for every single thing that we need in our lives and in this church, the smallest and the greatest. And Lord, when you provide, when you accomplish your purpose, we pray that we would give thanks to you. We pray this now in faith and in Jesus' name alone. Amen.